I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website. So if you just visit the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, you can then find the Patreon link there. Thank you to those that have. In this week's episode, I chat to Sinead and she talks me through her two experiences with birth. Sinead delivered her little girl, Lily, nine years ago without the presence of her husband, Jeff. He died suddenly on holidays when she was about 19 weeks pregnant. So she talks us through those days and weeks without Jeff and then talks us through her journey postpartum, uh, which was made even more difficult as she suffered a rectovaginal fistula, which is basically a tear between the vaginal wall and the rectum, resulting in stool passing through into her vagina so she talks us through her recovery there we then talk about little Dylan's arrival so he was premature and delivered via emergency c-section so she talks us through her recovery there and admits that although it was tough um, it was a walk in the park in comparison to her seven month recovery after Lily's arrival so I'm very grateful to Sinead for sharing her story and being so honest I know it wasn't easy I hope you enjoy this week's episode Sinead you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to start by giving us a little introduction to you and your family? Okay, I am Sinead Hinkston. I am now 39 years old. Um, I have a lovely blended family. Um, I have a now nine-year-old daughter, which just scares me very much, um, and a nearly three-year-old little boy. Um, So when I found out I was pregnant with Lily. I got married in December 2010, the year of the bad snow. It was great crack. Um, so the 27th of December, the day after the snow melted away, believe it or not, um, we got married, Jeff and I, just the name. Um, and then we went on honeymoon in January um, and his mum died suddenly when we were over there, which was really sad. So we ended up having to come home. Um, and then the March, I found out I was pregnant. So we had kind of decided in January, just after Jeff's mum passed away, that we would give it a go. Um, and yeah, very, very lucky to get pregnant a couple of months later, like without really much effort, you know, came off the pill at the end of January and I was pregnant by March. So we found out in April. Um, and I was actually in Ireland, Jeff, where we, we lived in the UK, but Jeff worked for Sky Sports. So he was actually at a game that day in the Emirates Stadium. So he was down in the basement, no reception, no nothing. And it was Easter Sunday. And I went for a walk with my mother and my aunt in Kerry. We were down in Muckers Park. And I'd gone to mass that morning and gone into the chemist after mass and taken a pregnancy test by myself in the bathroom in my nana's house and found out I was pregnant. And I was like, <gasps> So tried tried to ring Jeff and I was going, oh my God, I can't get through to him. And like, I just, I had to tell somebody. So I ended up telling my mum and my aunt. I was like, you can't breathe a word yet because Jeff doesn't even know. Um, so finally got through to him that evening. I had sent him an email with a picture of the pregnancy test. So basically we had got engaged on the 16th of December, which is tomorrow. Um, and then we then got married on the 27th of December, the year after. So when we found out we were pregnant, my due date was Christmas Eve. So we were just like, oh God, we're going to, like our family are going to kill us because the engagement, you know, everybody got together just before Christmas for a big dinner. 
and everyone was like, oh, for God's sake, you know, when are you going to get married? Don't do it around Christmas because, you know, look how much hassle you've caused trying to get us all here for this. So we obviously decided to pick the 27th of December. And then it was the only game that there's no game, there's no football games on around Christmas. So it was just like, okay, it was the handiest day for us to do for Jeff's sake. Um, and then, yeah, so finding out we were due on Christmas Eve was just, we actually just burst out laughing. It was like, oh God, they're going to kill us. Anyway, so we told everyone we were like, you know, going to ruin another Christmas. But he, he was over the moon. Jeff was 37. Yeah, he turned 37 in the February. Um, and he had kind of just settled on the fact that he was never going to have kids, like that he just was older and that he was never going to have any kids and that was all fine. And, you know, we were going to get loads of dogs if it wasn't going to work out for us. Um, I don't know, find out we were pregnant and it really just lifted, it lifted the kind of dark cloud of his mum passing away so suddenly and everybody was really kind of just looking forward to this little one's arrival. Um, mm. But unfortunately... And I probably will get upset because I'm having one of those days. Yeah. Um, but in the July, um, we when we were on honeymoon, we went to the Maldives and we stupidly didn't have worldwide travel insurance. We only had European. So we weren't covered for anything on the way home. We had to pay for everything ourselves, which was quite pricey, as you can imagine. And we decided that summer then to go away with my mum and dad. So they already had a place to stay in Portugal. And they just said, look, why don't you just pay for the flights and come over? So the flights were pretty cheap from Bristol and the two of us flew out. Um, and I had suggested that his dad join us as well because obviously his mum passed away. So his dad joined us. So we met him in Faro and we went off out to the villa and had the loveliest week in Portugal. We were due to stay on for two weeks. So we were there for a week with all the parents and then they were going home on the Sunday. Um, so the Saturday I would have been bang on 19 weeks pregnant. Um, the following Saturday after we arrived. And on the Sunday, we decided to go out on this organized boat trip. Um, and then the parents were leaving that evening. But unfortunately, um, the day took a bit of a turn. Um, on the boat trip, Jeff decided to go off for a swim while the boat was anchored. And something happened to him in the water and Jeff did not make it. So I was very much a 19-week-old pregnant lady, 39 years old, 19 week pregnant lady. Um, and yeah, so I moved back in, I moved back from the UK in with mum and dad because, you know, we were only renting over there. We were both self-employed. So there was very, you know, there was just no income. I had to come home. So I came home, moved in with mum and dad with my dog, um, Kobe. And yeah, so spent the next kind of few weeks, obviously, you know, in a, I had to register with Hollow Street. And I think I was about 22 weeks when I registered with them. So I'll never forget it. I got a, I got a, a bit of a questionnaire on the phone asking me why I was, you know, registering so late and how dangerous that is. And I was trying to explain to them that I, I was with the NHS up until that point. But obviously my husband died and I had to move home. And um, anyway, so I had to go into Hollow Street and do everything from scratch, all the bloods, all the everything, because they obviously couldn't take any, which is completely understandable. They couldn't use any of the information that the N, that West Mid mm -hmm. had, had done already. Um, so yeah, my first appointment, I think I was 24 weeks pregnant. And my mum came with me and I went down to that, I used to call it the cattle mart, it's really bad, but just that room with all of the, the couches in a, in a line and everybody like just packed into it. And I just was so overwhelmed. Like there were so many men in there with their partners. And I, it was just the first realization that you're doing this on your own. You know, this is, this is single parenthood and this is from scratch that you're going to have to find the strength from somewhere to get through this. So first appointment was pretty horrific. The woman opened my file and she said, oh, 24 weeks already. And um, where's dad? And I just absolutely lost it, burst out crying. And then she spotted the big highlighted in yellow part. Sinead's husband died suddenly two weeks ago, or I think it was whenever the letter was done. It was obviously two weeks before that. Um, so they sent me, they took bloods and everything and sent me off and said they'd give me a ring to come back whenever they were ready to do the ultrasound. Everything was fine. Um, she basically had told me to have my bag packed that the baby was head down and engaged. And I said, well, what does that mean? She just said, look, this baby could arrive at any stage from now. Um, and I just remember feeling this dread of like, God, it's hard enough having to do this by myself without having to, you know, cope with an extremely premature baby. Mm. Anyway, lo and behold, the baby did not come anytime soon. So at 38 weeks, um, I was sitting up in bed. I was texting my friend. She was in Australia. 
and I felt this pop just under my rib cage. Now, like I had a constant foot stuck in my rib cage. Um, so it was always really uncomfortable. So I always had to sit up really straight because if I slouched at all, it was just really sore. Anyway, I felt this pop and I remember texting my friend going, oh my God, I feel like they've just broken one of my ribs. And next thing I felt this little gush and I was like, oh, 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 that's a very strange feeling that I've never felt before. So I kind of stood up and went, oh dear God, another bigger gush. Um, and I remember like tiptoeing into mom and dad's room because my sister was down and her twins were only, God, they were only nine months old. So they were all in the house and she had a three-year-old as well. So I'm like trying to be really quiet, not to wake the kids. And I'm like, I'm in labor. I'm in labor. Like, <laughs> tiptoe around my house and not wake people. So I remember knocking on mom and dad's door really quietly and going, mom, mom, I think I'm in labor. And there was no answer. And I was like, mom, mom. And then just went, mom, my waters have just broken. So next thing she's up out of the bed, went into the bathroom, had my show, which I had kind of heard about, but didn't really know what to expect with this thing. I was like, look. God, that's kind of grim. Just, it just was. I think my first baby. I was like, God, this is also gross. gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there is just no like niceness about it. So, and then I had been told as well that it's very rare that your waters will break. That only a few, mm. like a certain percentage of women, will experience it. So I was never in a million years thinking it would happen to me. Um. So it was exactly nineteen weeks to the day that Jeff died, and I had been. I was nineteen weeks when I when he passed away. So this is exactly 38 weeks. Um, so yeah, jumped in the car, got the L10s machine out, stuck it on my back, jumped in the car. My sister drove like an absolute maniac into Hollis Street from Sandyford, breaking every red light and got in there. I, I had like a really baggy pair of tracksuit bottoms on and I had to actually ram a towel like into the tracksuit bottoms because it was just like every step I took was just worse. Well, was it just because the waters were, were still coming? Uh, yeah, okay. But, wasn't even in a gush like it was initially a little gush and then it just kind of was in dribs and drabs as the evening went on and the night went on so I got into Hollis Street anyway and I, I just love I love the guys at the front door I mean they must see everything yeah but it just so I went in and I said hi I, I'm in labor I'm in labor and he was like all right okay and I was like but like my waters are like property breaking and he handed me like a bed mat you know those those sheets the waterproof sheets and I was like okay thanks <laughs> Right, I'll just pop this between my legs instead. Then, will I? So, anyway, into admissions, and thankfully, they brought me straight up to a, um, a labor suite. I didn't have to go into any ward with anyone else. Yeah. They obviously knew the situation, so they knew I had requested a C section um, and was told absolutely not that natural is absolutely the way to go, that it's a much quicker recovery time, and just, you know, they don't, they don't allow you to choose to have a C-section. And I was like, but I don't, I don't want to do this without my husband. I, like, I can't, I, I don't even know how I'm going to do this without him. And they were like, oh, you know, you can have support in the room with you, and, you know, you're, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. Um, and I'd had a sweep the week before as well, so, you know, had a big chat with Margaret um, about kind of what to expect when I went in, and... Anyway, so I got a lovely, lovely labor suite, you know, shower and everything, but didn't really get a chance to do anything. So they came in and checked me and they were like, oh, you're not dilated at all. And I just burst out crying. I was like, what is this pain? If there is zero dilation, why am I experiencing so much pain? Mm. So then within, so I, I think I, I was in Hollis Street at maybe, might have been three o'clock in the morning, maybe two or three. Um, and... Yeah, so the thing is, we're kind of progressing, I suppose, as they normally should, but I was in agony. So I kind of begged them then for the epidural and had said to them, like, you wouldn't give me a C-section, but you did promise me that I could have the epidural the second I started being in too much pain. So the anaesthetist was nowhere to be found and it was kind of getting worse and worse. And I was like, don't do this to me. So I had to maybe lose my shit just a little bit to have a tantrum mm -hmm. and have an anaesthetist come up. So I eventually got the epidural. And then we had a bit of crack. So like we had the gas and air first, which I just thought was the funniest stuff in the world. Like, so I'm one of those people that like one drink and I'm, I'm kind of tipsy. Like I'm just a total lightweight. So giving me the gas and air, loads of people said, oh my God, it didn't work for me. I was like, oh no, no, I'm a lightweight. Anything like that. And I'm like, it's full force within minutes. Like, so I was just laughing my ass off. My mom and my sister had the masks on at one point and they were pretending to be Charlie's angels and just trying to keep the mood like, light um, and I had I had stuck which I'm sure the midwives thought that I was just batshit crazy 
I had stuck a picture of Jeff on the wall right in front of me. So I'm on the bed and, you know, he's literally right in front of me. So I was like, that's what I'm going to focus on, you know, to get this baby out safe. That's, he is my focus throughout this. So I had his t-shirt behind me on the bed, sprayed with his aftershave, picture on the wall, mum and Kira, one on either side. And I was like, right. So I think at about seven o'clock, maybe, maybe eight o'clock, I was fully dilated at that stage. Um, so yeah, I, I pushed for quite a long time. It was pretty, it was pretty exhausting. Um, so I started pushing and um, my epidural had kind of worn off, but they had given me oxytocin as well at some point because everything had slowed down and it was all starting to go a little bit pear-shaped. Um, so anyway, I started pushing, nothing was happening. Um, like looking back at my notes now, I think I was pushing for an hour and a half in total. Um, anyway, the doctor and- Can I just yeah, say, you, know, you just said there, it all went a little bit pear-shaped. What happened? What was going on in the room? So with the pushing, nothing, I could feel that there was nothing progressing as in I was pushing, but I could, like, I couldn't feel the baby coming out at all, or even getting further down. And I was trying to tell the doctor and the midwives that were there that it felt like she was stuck. Um, and they were like, no, 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 you're doing really well. You're doing really well. And then, you know, I gave one big push and my sister was down there. And she was just like, I can see the top of the head. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, this is good. You know, this is making progress. And I was shattered at this stage. Mm. Um, so, but the second I'd stop pushing, she would go back up again. So it was as if she was caught on something. Okay. Um, so anyway, the doctor came in and she again tried to do whatever she was doing. And I was just shattered. And she was like, right, we just need to give one more big push nation aid and gave another big push. And again, nothing. And I said, it feels like she's stuck. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm too tired. It feels like the baby's stuck. And she said, right, I'm going to do um, a suction. And I was like, a what? And she said, it's just a little thing that goes on your baby's head and it's like a vacuum. And, you know, she was explaining it all to me. I didn't have a clue, which was really bad. I didn't go to any antenatal classes because I couldn't face them on my own. I didn't watch one born every minute. I just kind of shut myself away from the fact that I was pregnant because I just had mm. to focus on getting to full term with this baby alive. That's all I could have in my head. So anything outside that, I didn't really, I didn't really look into at all. So I had no clue what she was talking about. So she explained it to me anyway. And I said, well, if that's what you feel you need to do, then let's go for it. So she, she attempted it the first time and it, I'll never forget her face, like this, the strain on her face when she started to pull. And it kind of, I think her hand might have slipped off, but anyway, then she tried again. And I just remember thinking like, this is attached to this baby's head. Like the, the force that they're actually using, they have one hand on your leg and the other hand is, you know, really pulling to get this baby out. And I just remember thinking like, I, I, like this is the most horrific thing I've ever experienced. Like I, I really cannot, I can't do this. This needs to happen very quickly. And I remember feeling a lot of resentment at that point that they didn't let me have a C-section, that things were starting to, you know, get a bit worrying. Um, the baby was obviously slightly stuck in the birth canal and I'm lying there going like, why wouldn't you just let me have the C-section? Like it would have been so much easier. So I kind of started to like blame myself and start feeling really bad and crap that I wasn't doing it properly. And she was like, no, it's not that, you know, it's just that this happened sometimes. And I was like, right, fine. So they eventually got her out. Um, and I didn't know what I was having. So it was absolute tears of delight that it was a little girl because Jeff and I had chosen a girl's name, but we hadn't picked a boy's name yet. So I was kind of petrified that, um, that I was going to have a boy, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. and it was just another thing <clears throat> that I was going to have to do without him was try and pick a name. Um, so I'd kind of seen a sheet that Jeff had written and scribbled a few boys' names on. But yeah, I just, the thought of having a boy really just didn't. And everyone kept saying, you know, if you have a boy, you're going to call it Jeff. And I didn't like the idea of that either. I was like, no, I don't think I could, you know. Um, now, Lily ultimately has been called Lily Jeff Hingston. So she does have his name in there, but it's not her first name. Um, so anyway, yeah, they, they got her out and they weighed her and she was five. I actually put everywhere that she was 5'13". But when I look back at my notes when I was bragging with Dylan, she was actually only 5'7". Um, so this tiny little baby and, you know, they were obviously tidying her up and weighing her and all the rest, but they were still very busy down below with me and Deirdre had said, they had given me the episiotomy first 
um, and she said, look, you know, you've just torn a little bit more than we'd like. Um, and we're going to bring you up to theater just to stitch you properly. And I was like, all right, okay. Um, and she said that obviously Lily could stay with Kira and mum. And Kira was like, well, I'm not leaving her until I absolutely have to. So Kira walked with me until the door of the theater. And I was just like in my head at that point, I'm like, what if I die? Like, what if there's a lot of blood loss here and they're just not telling me about it? And what if I die too right now? Like that baby has no parents. Like it's just the reality of how, like the, I don't know, just the overwhelming protection you feel instantly. And I'm like, oh my God, like what's going to happen to her if anything happens to me? Anyway, went into the theater because I'd had the epidural, they had kind of put my legs up in the stirrups and they'd started saying, right, we're going to go ahead. And there was about, I would say, six people in the room all of a sudden and I'm going you're not doing this when I'm awake I was like I'm sorry but no like you're gonna have to go up and sleep there's no way I am sitting through this awake with all of these strangers and nobody near me I was like absolutely not so they were like look you know what fair enough so they did put me to sleep which was great so I remember waking up in recovery um and I the first thing I did was I was like where's Jeff is Jeff with the baby and the midwife was like who and I was like Jeff like is, is he with the baby like who has the baby and she was kind of looking at me and she was like, Jeff. And I was like, yes, is my husband downstairs? And I just was totally out of it. And then one of the other midwives who I knew from the pregnancy came over and she said, you know, Sinead, Lily is downstairs with your mom and Kira. And it just kind of hit me then again. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, he's not here. Like, this is my life now. Um, so had a lovely private room. I mean, Hollis Street, to be fair to them, were absolutely incredible. They were really sensitive with the entire situation. They went out of their way to just make sure that I was okay and emotionally, physically. I'd been seeing the psychiatrist from when I registered with Hollow Street. Um, so he popped in and he just sat at the end of the bed and he laughed because of the state of my my bits. Um, and he was like, Jesus, only you. I mean, you know, this could only happen to you. Like as if it's not bad enough that you've lost your husband, you now have to have all these tears. So I basically, they did the episiotomy and... I also had a fourth degree tear then as well. So for anybody who doesn't know, which I'm sure a lot of people listening will, um, the episiotomy, the idea is that they, they do a little tiny cut away from your back passage. So if you do tear, that it doesn't affect that piece of skin between your vagina and your back passage. But unfortunately, mine tore every which way. So like a triangle. Um, so the next day I was, I was in agony, like the kind of the day that it happens, you're obviously, you have the episiotomy and you're pumped up on all these meds. And then the day after it's kind of, would you like two paracetamol? I'm going, uh, what about the morphine you gave me yesterday? Can I have a shot of that again? Um, so it was very much kind of right now, this, this happens to everybody, get into the bathroom now, you'd be grand kind of job. So I remember going to the bathroom and they wouldn't let me go home until I had had a, a bowel movement, which is perfectly normal again. Um, and Lily was fine. She was absolutely not a bother on her, like screaming her head off left, right and center and trying to feed her myself and, you know, just trying to be the best mom that I could be. Um, and then I remember going to the bathroom and I went to the loo and I have never, like my friends and my family know this, but I like, I, it's not, you know what, I just felt kind of ashamed about the whole experience. Like it was completely something that I had done or anyway it's just not something I would talk about very often but I'd gone to the bathroom and I wiped and I came out and this older midwife came into the room and I, she said oh did you go to the bathroom really excited and I said I did and I said but it's really stingy down there I said it stings quite a bit and I said when I wiped like I'm pretty sure that it was coming out of my vagina as well as my bum and she was like what when you went to the toilet and I was like well, yeah. And she completely kind of dismissed it in a, oh, it's such a mess down there. Like you have so many stitches. It's so swollen. You know, that's why it's probably just the way you wiped. And I was like, all right, okay. Thinking again, this woman has been doing this job for decades. I've only, this is my first baby, so I don't have a clue how this works. So I was like, all right, okay. You know, jump back into bed. Um, and then they had given me laxatives because obviously everything was such a mess but it got to the point that I had no control then over going to the toilet so it was kind of happening like even in the I could feel like I'd need to go and it would just happen there was no warning 
um, which kind of got extremely embarrassing. And it got to the point that I would only let my family and like mm. my best friend in to see me because I was like, this could happen at any stage, but at least these people, if anything, are just going to take the piss out of me for the rest of my life, but they won't be horrified by this. Do you know what I mean? Isn't they'll be just like, oh, Jesus, an age poor thing. <sighs> so after like another, I was in for five days initially um, and I probably for various reasons, but more so with the stitches and just the state of me. Um, but this kept happening. So I, I told the midwives a couple of times, but it was kind of, it was put down to the fact that I had so many stitches from all the third and the fourth degree tears. Um, so I, I just had to trust that what I was being told was, was right. So went home on day five. So she was born on the 11th of December. Um, so got home on the 16th. Um, and a couple of days later, the midwife came out to check up on me. And this is my like angel midwife who just from the moment I met her, like she was just the most perfect person sent to me by Jeff to just keep me in check and not let me get too dramatic and hysterical and was just a very straight talker, which is exactly what I needed. So she had come out to the house and she had checked me and she said, Sinead, I'm really sorry, but you need to go back into Hollis Street. And I was like, why? And she said, you know, it, it looks very puffy down there. And I was like, and I was going well it is killing me but I was just told that this is normal and she said no your stitches have actually broken down like it looks like it's infected and I was like oh dear god so back into Hollow Street into the emergency department I remember the midwife giving out to me for the weight of my handbag she was like your handbag weighs more than your baby like you are absolutely not to have this on your shoulder with the, with the injuries that you're currently you know trying to recover from so I the doctor that had actually stitched me was on duty that night. So she came in and she had a look and she said, you're going to have to go on IV antibiotics. She said, you know, it's really badly infected. So I said, okay, but can, can you give them to me and can I go home? And she said, no, you're going to have to stay in. So I said, well, I'm not staying here without Lily. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to give me the room that, Lily. <laughs> you know, our room on my own. I said, I'm not like, I, I didn't cope well with the men in Hollow Street. I didn't cope well with, with seeing them walking in and out with their newborns and their balloons and their teddies and their flowers. And it, it didn't just make me feel sad. It really, really got to me and it, it made me feel very unstable. Um, and I'm a very open person. Like, I think it probably goes in my favor sometimes because I have no, I have no shame in letting somebody know that I'm having a panic attack or that I'm feeling anxious or that I'm feeling uncomfortable in a situation. I think since the day Jeff died, I have been very much like, I'm not comfortable in this situation and I'm going to leave now because I just refuse to put myself in a situation that I don't feel comfortable with. And I think, especially when you've had a baby, you do need to be a little bit assertive, not even throwing your weight around, but just know, be very sure of what you want and, you know, kind of... Get it. I don't know. Yeah, and yeah. just let them know that that's how mm. you're feeling. Anyway, so back into the same room. I think a poor woman and whoever you are, if you ever hear this podcast and you were that lady who got kicked out of that room for me, I am forever grateful. Um, so she got kicked out of the room and I got put back into my little private room. Mum had actually stayed with me the entire time on a, on a mattress on the floor. God love her. Like hadn't left my side. Um, so I was put on IV antibiotics and the doctor came back in then and I told her and I said, look, I tried to tell the midwives last week that every time I went to the bathroom, it was coming out my vagina. And I was like, there's something wrong. You need to check. You need to have a look and see why that's happening. Um, and she said, did you say this to them last week? And I said, yeah. So they Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A few times. Every time I went to the toilet, I told them it was happening. So basically, I went back under general anaesthetic for them to have a good look at what was going on and they found a fistula. So I had a tear between my back passage and my vaginal passage. So it was a tiny little, I think it was like a half a fingernail, half a baby fingernail size, which is quite big when you actually look at the size of your nail. So every time I went for a poo, it was actually coming out both passages. And as a result of that, Obviously, because it's poo, it caused my stitches to my whole, my all my stitches to become infected. And as a result, they all broke down. So every stitch that they had put in was now gone. It had disintegrated them all before my my tears had actually, mm. you know, healed. So I'll just I'll never forget it. I, like I came to in recovery again and I went back down to the room to Lily and mum was sitting at the end of my bed and I just said like I know they're going to find something really bad mum and she was like you know they're, they're not you know whatever it is they're going to fix it and I had done a bit of doctor googling that week and I had read up on fistula so I hadn't used the word fistula but I knew what I was describing to them and a lot of a lot of the google docs were saying that you might have to have a bag fitted while it heals or while it's stitched and I was just like so I looked at my poor mother and I said, mom, if the doctor walks in here and tells me what I think is going on, is actually going on, and she suggests that I have a bag fitted, I am going to kill myself. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I am not walking around with a bag to go to the toilet into. It's just not happening. I, there is no point in me being here anymore. If, and I'm like, look, that's where I was at at that time. You know, I look back now and I'm going, Jesus, it would have only been a temporary thing if they had had to do it. Yeah. But at that moment, in that moment, I was just, and mum was crying her eyes out. I was bawling, crying. Anyway, lo and behold, said doctor, walked into the room, confirmed my worst nightmare that unfortunately they had done a, a rectal scope and that they had found the issue, which was the fistula that I had been trying to tell them about. And that it was extremely rare that they never, like that she had never experienced the kind of tears that I had experienced with Lily's delivery ever, especially for a baby that size. And she had just said, you know, we think that Lily's hand might have been up by her face and that her nail might have caught you on the way out. So I looking at this newborn tiny baby going, you did this to me, you did this to me. Like this instant kind of, like, have I not been through enough feeling? So I just remember saying to her, like, she was so tiny. Like, how could she have done so much damage? She was so small. And they do say that sometimes bigger babies do less damage because they just come out with a flow. And anyway, so next thing, the next words that she uttered were, we have two options here. Um, one is that you just ride the wave of this this is completely out of our expertise so we're going to have to refer you to vincent's and um, they have a colorectal specialist there and he's you know top guy in the green aisle he's just incredible and we have to refer you to him and she said the second thing is you know because obviously you have no control over this and um, we can fit you with a bag 
And I just looked at mum and I just said, I told you. And I just burst out crying and mum just looked at her and said, that's, that's not an option. So you need to figure something else out. Um, so that, well, I didn't get back out of hospital again until the 24th, I think. Um, and the antibiotics weren't working. So I was referred then to Vincent's. Hollow Street had done everything that they could think of doing at that stage. So I was referred over to Vincent's. Um, so I had an appointment with him, I think, early January. And he basically said that to stop taking the laxatives because they were actually causing me to not have any control because obviously everything was so loose. Whereas if I stopped taking them, as, as sore as it would be to go, it would stop it from being so messy effectively. So I was like, okay, it makes sense. So it was kind of like you either accept the mess without the pain or the pain without the mess. So I was like, you know what? I think I'll go with the pain and I'll just take paracetamol or whatever it is I need to take. So he then said about the infection and he said, it takes your body 12 weeks to naturally heal, which I never knew, but it's a thing. So to naturally heal an infection, it takes your body roughly about 12 weeks. And he said, because of where it is, there's constant blood rushing to that area. So we just have to leave this. There's no point in giving you any more antibiotics. They're not going to work. And he said, but I also can't operate until the infection is gone. So I'm looking at him going, so I have to walk around for the next three months and have this going on and be caught off guard. And like, like this is going to sound so grim, but every time I, I had any wind, I couldn't stop it from coming out. And like, we know how a fanny fart sounds. It's this horrible, like, flappy noise anyway that was me every time I had a bit of wind so he just said look watch your diet stop with the fiber you know not stop with too much fibers and don't be getting bunged up but don't also be eating you know too little of it oh it was just an absolute nightmare so I had a little ring cushion that was my best friend for months um so in the March then oh and also Hollow Street had said to me I had said about the, the the wounds. I said, look, I have three tears here that are going left, right and centre down there. Like, you can't leave me with these gaping wounds. And I'd looked at it in the mirror before I'd gone in and I can tell you it was disgusting. It's like somebody had just got at me with a knife down there and had just gone. So I said, you can't actually leave me like this. Um, and they just said, Sinead, we can't restitch a wound. Like, it's, it's, it's just cosmetic damage. It'll heal naturally itself. And I said, but it's going to heal open. And she just said, well, you know, it is just cosmetic damage. It's not going to cause, you know, any harm that way. And I'm going, but if I'm ever to meet anybody else, like, how do I explain my butchered vagina to them? Like, I, like I just was like, you can't actually leave me like this. This is not okay. Like, but the, look, it was out of their control. And that's the way they obviously are trained. And she just said, look, I'm really sorry. And to be fair to her, she was really upset about the whole thing. She was, you know, she rang me nearly every day after the whole fistula was found. And she was like, how are you today? And, you know, Sinead, I'm just so sorry that this has happened. And I was like, look, it's not your fault. You know, nothing I can do. So in the meantime, I met with the master in Hollow Street because I just felt like I needed some answers as to why, number one, I wasn't allowed to have a section. And secondly, to kind of explain to her that they do need to be more open to allowing, you know, grieving mothers the option of a section. And this is why, like, look what's after happening to me. So I met with her quite soon, actually, after I requested a meeting, which I thought was quite good. Anyway, so I just remember, like, trying to feed Lily on this ring cushion, lying on my side on the couch constantly. She wasn't feeding well at all. I had to keep topping her off. She had the worst colic ever. The poor child would just scream from five o'clock in the evening. So I, like, I stopped breastfeeding her at about nine weeks, which devastated me because I wanted to be, you know, Jeff and I had kind of talked about it and we said, like, we'd do everything we could to try and get me to the year, be it lactation consultants and this, that and the other. I really, really wanted to, to breastfeed her for a year. So after nine weeks, I, I just said, no, like, it's, you know, it's not working. And I remember the midwife saying to me, you know, you're breaking your own heart here. Like, you're going through enough without trying to do this as well. So Lily's christening was actually in the February. So that was the last day I breastfed her, which was an absolutely incredible day out. I must say we all had a great time. Um, like about a hundred of Jeff's colleagues from Sky Sports came over for the day. And just, it was just, well, a hundred probably an exaggeration, but there was about a hundred people there. But yeah, so many of them came over. Um, 
And yeah, so that March then, and I went into Vincent's, went in for the surgery. And when I came out, then met with Professor O'Connell. And to be fair to him, he was like, look, I'm just letting you know, I stitched everything back up again, tidied everything up. And I was like, oh my God, I love you. He was like, I couldn't have actually left it the way it was. He said it was pretty, you know, wasn't very nice looking. So I was really kind of appreciative that he had done that for me because I, I don't know, I just felt like he got us that I just couldn't be walking around with this disgusting looking vagina um so the following now that July then so I had the surgery in the May in the March um and then I had another checkup with him in July and he said it was it was pretty much healed you know that there was always going to be a tiny bit um and that it was just diet related then just to make sure that I ate the right foods and and yeah just you know, embraced the uh, windy pops that came out the wrong, the wrong hole. Um, and how was your recovery then after that surgery? It was like they. Oh, so the day and for the day that I had the operation, I woke up and this incredibly good-looking nurse came in, and he just said to me, "I have to take the packing out." And I was like, "The what?" And he said, "I was all packed with this gauze stuff." And he said, I just have to take it out. And I actually went, you are not taking that out. I said, you can go and get a female nurse. And he kind of (laughs) looked at me a bit offended. And I was like, I'm really sorry. Like, I know that's really offensive, but you may go and get a a female nurse to do this. Because you're not going, like, pulling gauze out of my vagina and my bum. I was like, no, get out. Like, you're far too good looking to be doing stuff like this. Go get a different, like, I don't know, go specialize in something else. (laughs) terrible again if you're listening I apologize um but yeah so it was it, the, the couple of months after that procedure was pretty it was just again lying down and hoping to god that my stitches healed properly and you know and they did thank god everything it still looks horrific down there like you can see that I was torn to shreds but it's not as horrific as it was going to be left um but yeah I just you know I just remember thinking like Christ, like it was losing Jeff, not enough to have to go through. And then obviously in the moment of panic with deciding to do the Von Toos, the Kiwi delivery, like you're kind of going, God, what happens if this child doesn't make it as well? And I have to go through that too. You know, there's all of these fears that all like things you would never have thought about or would ever cross your mind. You're just so much more, you know, I don't know, raw to these, these feelings and fears. Um, but I also was told in Hollow Street that I would never be able to have another natural delivery again. And it really pissed me off because I was like, well, number one, I kind of looked at her going, eh, my husband's just died as if I'm going to be having any more children. And she was like, well, you know, just if you were to meet somebody in the future, I was like, that's really insensitive. I was like, that's not really a nice thing to say to somebody who's just been widowed. And like, here I am married with another child. <laughs> like, but, you know, at the time I was like, it's really not a, a good thing to say to somebody who's just lost her husband. Um, so I just remember feeling like really just like a lot had been stolen from me that day. Like the experience of a nice delivery, the, you know, God, like everything. I just had I had had a C-section, I just feel like it would have. Yes, the six weeks after aren't the greatest, but I just would have been in a better place psychologically than I was and you know it took me a lot to not blame Lily which you know sounds terrible but like when they kept saying oh it was her hand that did the damage and I'm like how could she have done you know you just kind of go oh you did this to me and this child who's screaming at you because she's got such bad colic god love her and you're like it was just the most horrific experience when it when it should have been a much nicer you know obviously it should have been amazing um, and I had listened to all of, all of these hypnobirthing CDs and, you know, had this idea in my head that this was just going to be at you and this child was going to appear and it would be lovely. And it just couldn't have gone any worse for me. Um, so, yeah, then fast forward quite a few years and I got pregnant again. I got married after Dylan. Actually, I didn't get married before I had him. got married after. Um but yeah, I had Dylan and he was six weeks early. So I ended up having an emergency C-section with him. But again, the recovery from the C-section was a walk in the park in comparison to what I had gone through with Lily. Did you continue to have support from the psychiatrist in the hospital in those um, weeks and months following Lily's arrival? 
Yeah, so I, I saw the psychiatrist in Hollow Street quite a bit, became his best mate. I used to panic attacks outside his office and he used to just come and sit beside me and be like, right, come on, you ready? Um, he was an incredible person and probably only for him, again, I, I don't think I would have been as strong as I was to get through it all. He was just, again, I'm a very, I'm the kind of person that needs a matter of fact person to deal with me. Like, there's no point in pussyfooting around me. There's no point in sugarcoating things. Like, just tell me as it is. Like, you know, and he, I just remember when I was pregnant with Lily, especially, I couldn't eat. I used to eat brioche. It was the only thing I could stomach. Everything else used to make me physically vomit. Um, and I just remember him saying to me, like, this baby, consider it a parasite. Like, it's just going to feed off you. It's like, you need to stop worrying about the fact that you can't eat. You have got plenty of nutrients in your body already that this baby is going to feed off. And it was just, it just lifted all of the like, oh my God, I'm going to starve this baby because I can't eat and I keep puking. And he was like, no, 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 you'll, you'll get very ill before the baby will get ill, but this baby's going to be fine. And he was right. Like, she was perfect. Like, not a bother. Literally came out singing and dancing, just perfect. Like, tiny, but Dylan was exactly the same size. So I obviously, my body's cut off was obviously five pounds seven. And it just goes, eh, eh, out you go. <laughs> um, it was actually only when I had Dylan that I realized Lily's actual size. She was 2.59. He was 2.62. So they were both five pounds seven ounces. Um, but yeah, so the aftercare... Yeah, I mean, the midwives, they came out initially, but I think once I was referred to Vincent's then, that was the end of the connection with Hollow Street because obviously you're kind of signed out of one hospital and signed into another. Um, now, the doctor, again, that had initially stitched me had phoned a couple of times after to, to ask how I was and check in and all the rest. Um Looking at your recovery from a physical point of view, um, we know that you looked after yourself by going to see a psychiatrist, but did you go visit a women's health physio at all just to help you regain your strength again? No, I didn't do any, no, I actually didn't do any physio or anything or any pelvic or anything, which is probably really bad, but I just, I don't know, I think I was so focused on trying to survive without Jeff and trying to raise this you know, tiny human that was completely 100% dependent on me. Like, it was just the most petrifying experience ever. But she's nine. She's nine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, wow, every time we get to another birthday, I'm like, high five, Lily, I kept you going another year. It's like, woohoo. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I've never actually met anybody else that's had a rectovaginal fistula from a delivery ever. Never, no. No, it's the first time I've spoken to someone. And I've never, to be fair, I have never spoken about this ever. Um, like obviously my mom and my my sister and my best friends and my cousin knew about it, but you know, even my brothers had a kind of vague idea that I was pooing out my vagina, but just in a very like piss takey way. There was never really too much kind of talk about it. Um and yeah, like I obviously I love to hear from people who have experienced the same thing. Absolutely. So if anybody feels like dropping me an L message, feel free. Um, but yeah, it's funny because like, obviously, you know, when Jeff died, I, there was no such thing as Instagram. There was no such thing as kind of this whole support network that I have now on Instagram, especially. Um, and I've met like outside of social media, I had met a few widows my age that had kind of experienced, you know, losing their husband's, at the same time as me as well, which was even more strange. Anyway, but then since I've come onto Instagram and kind of been very open about my journey and my stories, it's just incredible. Like the amount of people that have actually, you know, experienced being widowed young and being widowed pregnant, or they just had a baby and they were widowed. Like it's just an incredible network of people. So yeah, that's when I saw your podcast and I was like, oh, maybe she could be the first person to uh, talk about my lovely experience of pooing out my vagina. <laughs> I was delighted when you got in touch because the rectovaginal fistula is something that I know other women have experienced but has yet to be spoken about openly. So I was very grateful when you did. So we touched briefly on Dylan's birth. Um, obviously you had him through an emergency C-section. Would you have considered his experience um, a, a bit of a healing experience, although it was an emergency C-section? 
Oh yeah, like having like the emergency Z section was a walk in the park in comparison to hers. And like it was sore and it was sore after and my scars, like because it was an emergency. So basically, like obviously the reason I couldn't have another one naturally was in case I tore again and the fistula would probably reopen if there was any strain put on it. Yeah, like a baby size strain. I don't mean yeah. needing to go to the toilet. I mean like a proper baby size strain. Baby size strain. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, so they were just like, no, you absolutely can't. So when I, Dylan, God, you couldn't ride it. I was at a funeral and my waters broke when I was pregnant, like with Dylan. I was 34 weeks and I'm standing at the back of the church. It was my old Irish dancing teacher had passed away and standing at the back of the church with my mom and Lily um, and a friend of my mom's. And I just felt this tiny little gush and I was going, oh, that has to just be a bit of discharge. Like, you know, 34 weeks. I'm, you know, <laughs> this can't be happening. And as as everybody was swarming, there was hundreds of people there coming out of the church. I'm trying to get to the top of the church to get to the toilet. And Lily was like, I'm coming with you to the toilet. And I'm like, okay. And she was, what, six? Um, and with every step, I looked down and I could see my Ugg boots were all splashed. And I was like, Jesus Christ almighty, my waters have broken. <laughs> so I got to the toilet, rang my mother, who never answers her phone. And she answered straight away. And I was like, mom, I think my waters are broken. And Lily was like, water can't break. So I'm like, shh, just stop for a second, Lily. I just have to talk to Nana. So next thing, mom, like lands into the, the disabled toilet. She's like, let me see, true mother style, pulling up my knickers. And I'm like, oh my God, mom. Um, and she was like, yep, yep, yep. No, it looks like they have gone. I'm like, well, no, I can pretty much tell you they've gone, mom. You didn't need to have the visual. Um, so yeah, into the car again, back into Hall. I remember ringing Hall Street and they were like, have you got your file with you? I was like, no, I was at a funeral and I'm only 34 weeks pregnant. Why would I carry my file around with me? So they were like, well, you, you really need to get that now and bring that in here. I'm like, can I, can I get in there first and then figure that out after? So I went in and I think I got there at about one and I had an emergency section at five to four, but they so played it down. They were like, no, you'll be fine. We're going to give you a steroid injection and try and slow everything down and I'm on the phone to Michael going, it's grand. I'm not going to have this baby today. You play your hockey match, baby. It'll be fine. And he's like, I'm on my way. I was like, no, you're a goalie. How are they going to replace you? It's totally grand. Like he would have been on the pitch as I was giving birth had he not come in or not even giving birth had I been having the section. So when I, the doctor came in then, this incredibly gorgeous French doctor. Yeah. That kind of made it a bit dreamier, I suppose, that he delivered my baby. Um, but he came in and he checked me and he said, no, you know, you're not dilated, you're okay. But my contractions were at that point very close together. And mum was told to time them. So she's still sitting religiously with the phone, like a true mother, <laughs> stopping and starting every time it happened. And then they would say to the midwife come in, she said, oh, you can stop recording. And now mum was like, no, they're getting closer together and you guys are not doing anything. So I'm not stopping recording this. She cannot have another natural delivery. She can't. And it was as if they wouldn't kind of listen to us because I didn't have my notes. And I'm yeah. like, no, you really need to check your system. Like, I can't, I can't do this myself. I need to have a section. It's all right. It's, it's going to be fine. You just calm down. And I'm like, no, and I could feel the pressure. I was like, this baby mm. is on its way. So got put into the bed and then literally the anesthetist came up and he was like, so I'm just going to go through a few, um, a few, questions with you and I was like no no no, I'm not having the baby today like I'm not having the sex and he was like okay well sure we'll just do this anyway just in case and I was like no no, no but the doctor's literally just been in like I'm not having a section today because I'm in complete denial at this stage that this baby is going to arrive so he he went back out and then came back in he goes no no we're, we really do need to do this questionnaire and I was like oh shit I'm having this baby today and literally three seconds after he left the doctor came back in and said look we're going to bring you to theater and I was like oh oh okay we're doing this but Dylan was already fully engaged. So they had to pull him back out of the birth canal. So he was, he was literally ready to crown. I don't know what, you, you know, he was very, very far down. And um, so it became a very kind of fast pace, got my spinal block, which didn't work properly. And then they, you know, did the little, can you feel that? Can you feel that? I was like, mm, a little bit. And they were like, really? Okay, we'll leave you another couple of minutes. And they were like, look, we really need to keep going here. And I was like, uh, okay like what are you supposed to do so yeah so green arrived in or michael arrived in at i think he arrived in about a minute and a half or a minute 
before they lifted Dylan up over the, like they literally forgot about him. I was like, um, where, where's my boyfriend? And they were like, oh, he, he's coming, he's coming. And I'm going, I feel like you're about to lift this baby out of me and my partner's still not beside me. Mm. And they were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get him now, we'll get him now. And he literally like sat down on the seat and within a minute they were like, it is a boy. So uh, yeah, that was all pretty amazing. His little, his French accent, like, it is a little boy. It's like, oh, ooh la la. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was amazing. So he wasn't, he wasn't in any distress or anything. It was purely to stop you having a vaginal birth. Oh yeah, no, he was fine. Like it was like, he would have been grand had I, he would have been fine had I had a vaginal birth, but I would not have been. Um, so mm. yeah, no, that my scar was pretty big. It was kind of, it felt like it was like from hip to hip at one point. I was like, oh my God, my poor stomach. Um, do you know what? The scar itself is really neat. Yeah. As in like the stitching of it and the scar is totally sealed and that bit's perfect, but it's long and wonky. Do you know what I mean? Um, for sure, look, all our, all our birth scars of our babies. Um, it's so funny that you say he was gorgeous because I, when I went oh in. Oh God, he was gorgeous. With Oliver, I had to get just my back checked. So I have an implant in there. So it's good to see if I can have an epidural. And oh, no, with Eva and you're, no, with Oliver. And uh, my mum was with me and she was like, Jesus Christ. I have so many kids. I don't know which yeah. one is which. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, Cora, isn't he gorgeous? And I was like, yeah, ma'am. Like, as in, he'd be great. Was to he you. French? I was like, no, he was Irish. Oh. And he's blonde hair. I was like, ma'am, I'm ma- like, I'm married. Like, <laughs> so trying to set me up with someone. <laughs> oh my God. So obviously Michael is- had never experienced any of this. So when, when we went in, he said, I just need to check you. I was like, yeah, Grant. So I took off the soaking wet leggings and the Ugg boots laid in on the bed. And like Michael obviously had to help me get the leggings off because they were so wet. They were stuck to me and it was all just, I was laughing my ass off going, do you still love me, baby? <laughs> and then jumped up on the bed, spread the legs. And like, Michael's looking at me going, what are you doing? I said, well, he has to check me. And he was like, what, what, how? I was like, Gloved hand, baby. And he was just like, Jesus. So you're it like, gets the so awkward. Yeah. The doctor came in and I'm going, ah, come on. Why do you have to be so good looking? Like, why does the most uncomfortable bits of my my life have to be done by a very hot guy? Um, anyway, so when he he obviously told me then that I wasn't dilated at all, and he left the room and Green was like, Jesus. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, you guys do nothing. You get all the enjoyment on the first night and then you have to do nothing. And he was just like, okay, yeah, I'll give you that one. But yeah, it just, you know what? I think Dr. Ahmed made it all. uh, And it's funny because when my friend ended up in the hospital at the same time while Dylan was in NICU, Dylan was in NICU for two weeks just because he kept forgetting to breathe. He was grand. He just kept getting apnea. Okay. Um, So if he got too cozy, he would just stop breathing. So it was just like a really fun pinching and smacking him on the face job. Um, but it was just premature lungs. He was absolutely fine. Um, and my best mate ended up in there because she was pregnant at the same time with pains and all the rest. But any of them, so every time I go up and sit with her, like they were like, oh, you've, you have a baby here. And I said, yeah, yeah, he's down in NICU. And, you know, just in to see him. I used to spend like from seven in the morning to seven in the evening with him. Um, and they were like, oh, lovely. And I was like, yeah, you know, Dr. Atma delivered him. And they'd be like, oh, did he? And like all of the midwives were exactly the same as me. It was like, oh, isn't he lovely? Like, yes, yes, he is. He had this like quiff of like sandy blonde hair that came out the front of his his cap. And oh, geez, he was just lovely. <laughs> lovely. But yeah, so there you go now. There is my life in a nutshell. Thank you. That was lovely. It was lovely to chat to you. It was so lovely to virtually meet you. <laughs> so Sinead has also asked me to pass on the message that anyone else who has experienced the same, whether it's a fourth degree tear or a rectovaginal fistula, you can get in touch with Sinead and have a chat. She has yet to meet someone who experienced um, the fistula. So I will pop her, I will link her um, Instagram page in the show notes and also on the website. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 